Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Before we get into today's episode, just wanted to say thank you to everyone who checked out the previous episodes. If you're new here and just tuning in today, check out episode one with Eric Grubbs and episode two with David Anthony. And also, uh, it would be awesome if you followed us on Twitter and Instagram. And that is both of those handles are at Spinning Out Pod. So on to today's episode. Today on the pod, I'm talking to Sadie Dupuy of Speedy Ortiz and Sad 13 about Unwound's final album, Leaves Turn Inside You. Also, Sadie has a brand new Sad 13 album, Haunted Painting, out now on Wax 9 Records. So yeah, had a lot of fun catching up with Sadie, so I won't hold you any longer. Here's the chat. at home and need new records, but it doesn't feel safe to venture out, or you don't want to support big box stores? Go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can do safe pickup, but if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. At checkout, just enter discount code SPINNINGOUT for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me, it's easy. I wanted to actually uh, talk to you about running. Oh, my God. During, during quarantine, um, I decided, me and my partner decided that we were just going to you know, start running. So we got a Couch 5K app. Oh, cool. Just started doing it. But I, I remember like when you stayed in Charlotte, uh, you seemed like an avid runner. From Yeah, I must have been training for a marathon back then. Is that possible? That sounds about right. Or I think I had just done a half marathon maybe mm. a couple days before before I saw you guys. I don't remember what year this was. I know it wasn't that long ago. So and time just feels yeah, too it's loopy. Like, this could have been, uh, la- I think it was last year, realistically. But I it could think, have been five years ago. I think it was 2019, and I think it was around March. Okay, that sounds good. Because uh, I, I was on a book tour, right? Yes. Yeah, I did a I did a half marathon like on the first day of my book tour, which is an interesting choice. But <laughs> and for me, that I always seem to forget. Um, so half marathon, it was at like thirteen point one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Did you do you have the sticker on your car? I don't. That was my first half marathon. Do you have the sticker though? I, I don't have a sticker. Okay. I think you have to buy the sticker. It's not like a thing they give you when you complete the race. Oh, okay. They should, though. Maybe Uh, some races, too. This one, the Rock and Roll Half Marathon in Washington, D.C., no stickers. Yeah. I think I'll just get the sticker. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want... I mean, I have actually... I was about to say, I don't want people to know anything about me from my car. But um, (laughs) I have, like, an ancient Sub Pop sticker on there. I think I have a Blur sticker on there that's also ancient. And an and an exploding in sound sticker and a Waterloo Records sticker where I used to work. So people know too much about me already. Yeah, I on my last car I had a sub pop sticker, but it was just the one that said loser. And nice. And I had to then I was doing substitute teaching and I would show up 
at the private school and I felt it felt I'm like sure they had a field day with that well I would always like back into a spot which was <laughs> kind of weird I was just like I don't, it's not like offensive but it was like you know I was like oh this probably isn't you know like the best foot forward with this kind of thing so yeah you don't want to give those children any fodder yeah 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 they're already evil enough as it is <laughs> uh but yes yeah, so i'm at the point of like two miles basically you know like i said i started in quarantine i i've seen like pictures like the guy from mountain goats was saying he ran like 13 miles but just like for fun yeah and i'm like i don't know when i will get there i don't know you don't i know you don't really have an answer for that i do kind of have an answer though no. and i feel like um well i started running when i was 15 or 16 and i basically just joined the track team as a dare because my friends didn't think i w they they basically were like you wouldn't last a week doing this you like all this you know artsy stuff um so I, I'm st stupidly competitive and don't like to be told what I can't do. So I joined the track team and ultimately wound up a captain of the track team. Um, but I didn't like running. And it took me like a year maybe of doing it. And I joined cross country as well um, to really like it. And even, I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd say I'm an avid runner. I go kind of intermittently on and off of doing it. Um, but when I started to really like it, is when I started to do it on tour and got into, like I did long miles in cross country, but I, I don't know that I ever did more than like eight miles in training. Um, when I started to get into longer runs, like 10, 10 mile runs, that's, for me, that's when you get into the thing that people call like, I'm putting for listeners a big, big scare quotes around this runner's high. Um, because I think you can just really settle in. You could you could put on Leaves Turn Inside You by Unwound and listen to the whole thing. Um, you could put on a super long chatty podcast and listen to the whole thing and just see a bunch of cool scenery. So for yeah. me, like the short distances almost feel like a a chore for me when I do them. Not, it's just like a I don't know. I I, I tend to run faster when I do the the shorter training distances, even though that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, I feel like you can kind of relax into a long run and that's, that's nice for me, yeah, but it I took me like a year the, to like it at all. Yeah. The bad part right now is I feel like it's, it's a struggle to kind of know how to like pace mm -hmm. and then I'll be like halfway through like the two and a half mile run and like, Ooh, I ran too fast in the beginning. Do you have, does your app tell you like what you're running splits wise, like per in interval? Well, in terms of your it, pace? when it was earlier on, um, like we started just from like nothing. So, so I, like I run walk. Yeah, I would be like run for a minute and then, you know, like, I don't know how we're ever gonna get here. But now it's to the point where it's like we're essentially near the end of the five K part of it, but I wouldn't say I've personally like mastered it. But it's like, you know, it's trying to get you to three the uh, three mile mark. Mm -hmm. And I'd say I'm like maybe most comfortable around like a mile and a half at this point but this is you know so i'm like i see progress but it also kind of feels like i've plateaued on it um so yeah i mean no I you won't plateau <laughs> yeah You'll but it, it's even like uh, it's i feel like the harder part the point i was making on the app since it's really just getting me to try and run for like 28 minutes that's mm -hmm. what i said today i'm like it used to tell me to like stop running or something and you know 
that was nice <laughs> but now there's no instruction for like the whole thing it's like you start then you're done it'll tell you start running and then you're done and I'm yeah like, <laughs> you can build in intervals for yourself something i like to do for shorter distance well to me short but I, 5k is long for most people so i let's yeah. let's let everyone know if you run three miles that's awesome um i like to put in like speed training intervals for runs of that distance so maybe it's you know one minute at your at your casual pace and then add in 30 seconds going all out um then another minute for recovery and that kind of spices it up makes it more more fun for me and that's also what's going to help you in get, expanding your lung capacity and being able to do longer runs if you are interested in that later yeah yeah so yeah so to i guess pivot from runners yeah world this is a sports podcast welcome (laughs) and uh so like you mentioned uh so today we're talking about unwound leaves turn inside you the 2001 record actually when you first told me uh that you wanted to do it for some reason i always placed this record like earlier like almost like a early 90s record yeah yeah but you know it's their swan song yeah and then i had um actually i'll start the silly joke from the beginning is when i was listening to the song demons sing love songs Mm. i was convinced that because i thinking that it was early 90s that um like either golden eye ripped it off or vice versa which seems like it'd be the other way around but if you listen to that song which i think you put on a a playlist uh, that came out today coincidentally yeah um so and that song's on there, but I, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the with the movie Golden Eye or the video game. <laughs> I was just talking about the video game last night because I was watching the um, the Netflix like video games six part documentary, yeah. and they talk about Doom, and it looks the same as Golden Eye to me. Yeah, they we watched the first episode of that uh, series, and I was like, this. Uh, it's a lot different than I expected. Like, I don't know if you watch like the toys that made us uh, no. series. It's, it is talk about like the history of toys and, mm. but it also was kind of uh, set up almost like a, like a, I love the nineties kind of thing with like a little bit. talking heads people. Yeah. But the video game one, it sort of has that, but it goes into like the minutia of like the guy hacking like the pac-man box to make like mm-hmm. and I'm there's like, some corporate espionage yeah. there's some and I'm like, mtv that is not like what I promos it's it's very I, th- I thought it was very fun and wholesome but anyway well, yeah. i was talking about golden night <laughs> yeah. last night because of this <laughs> but yeah. i don't i have seen the movie but i can't remember will you sing us a little bit of the theme song so i can remember it's it like a that's like i don't have it kind of the main <laughs> hook but there's a part in the song that kind of does that because the interplay between the guitar and the bass almost like create that melody so i yeah. doubt it but it'd be, it'd be funny if unconsciously uh they ripped off the golden eye theme for that song that's what i'm that's my theme. there's a lot of like vibey <laughs> euro like spy ambiance to this album i wouldn't have placed it with goldeneye but i feel like the you know they're like buddies with blonde redhead who i think kind of get into that kind of groove stereo lab i think that in terms of like indie bands that 
affect that mood. And I think this is where Unwound kind of delved into that. And I think Bond themes fit into that category too. Yeah, if I can ever have that, um, someone say yes, we, or not even like, they were like subconsciously, but if they turn out to be like big Bond fans, that would surprise me, but also would really validate, you know, what I'm saying. But, um, you know, so-, so Justin of- and Sarah, if you're listening, <laughs> we just want to know if you like Goldeneye. <laughs> Um, so I guess like why this specific album? Well, this is going to sound, I mean, this is a depressing way to lead off our talk. Did you ask me about this? Did I pick this before Vern died or after? Uh, this was after. So I it must've just been on my mind. This is for, you know, this is not a sudden interest in this album. This is one of my favorite records. I think when speedy ortiz was first starting i considered unwound in this album in particular a huge influence um one of the songs on our first record uh casper 1995 even in like arranging and recording it we were very specifically thinking of demons sing love songs from this album um so this is just one of my favorite albums anyway and i think if i were to pick a list of you know, ones I want to talk about, this this would be on there. Um, but I think also the the loss of Vern Rumsey kind of, you know, if, if there's five albums that are my faves that I'd love to talk about, um, this would take priority just sort of as a tribute to an amazing bassist we just lost. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... Usually, I well, I think, like, with my knowledge of Unwound, it wasn't usually this album. Like, yeah. I always feel like I would go to... I hope I don't get the name of it right. Like New Plastic Ideas. Uh, yeah, that's it. Would be the one that I would go to more often. I'm not really sure why. I mean, it also could be the length of it. This one is long, yeah. Yeah, um, because I think like New Plastic Ideas is like 39 minutes, if I'm remembering correctly. And this um, is what, like 78 yeah. minutes or something? Yeah, an hour and 16 minutes. Damn. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so over the course of like, doing a few of these interviews like one of the first things i'll do is i'll pull up the album and see how long it is and then i'm like oh man yeah <laughs> any of them to be, to be honest um but you know i was a big fan of unwound but they're always just like a band that i just feel like i haven't like, spent as much time as i'd like to with but also like if anyone hasn't listened to this record like that's what you have to do with this album like it's not like particularly a feel-good record and it's not one i mean it's an hour and 16 minutes but it's also like very dense of a record. yeah uh, it does it's weird it's i don't really gravitate towards long songs or albums generally like a lot of times once a song hits the four minute mark i can kind of glaze over but i think uh, i i <laughs> if anyone's listening and hasn't heard this album before don't, I don't think it's intimidating. I think because the songs are crammed with so many ideas, it often feels like um, the songs have like different movements in them. So if a song is six minutes, you're kind of listening to like three different shorter ideas. Um, and even like some of the ideas, I'm spacing on between which songs, but there's certain like musical motifs that come back later. Mm. Um, so it's a to me like a really... This album is really synonymous to me with like being on tour, being on maybe like a long drive through Utah, <laughs> like looking at 
cool scenery and not much else and just kind of focusing on all these little details um yeah we... and i like some of their i like their earlier albums too but i think um this just has a very different feel like they took all that they learned doing you know the more aggressive post-hardcore stuff and, and made a very cinematic sounding record that's uh to me super cool yeah, I feel like people would use like people will throw around the word like mature a lot. You know? like, yeah, like like it. Uh, if this were their, pit, I mean, this might have had a pitchfork review. I I don't know. Uh, it did. I it, think it. They scored it very highly. And did they? They probably used the term mature. I'm I'm not sure, but that's probably true. <laughs> um, but one I think like a when I was thinking of like the long drives on tour, I was thinking. Like usually my go-to for that, like if I just want to put on a record that has long songs, but not just for the sake of long songs, would be probably Neurosis. But that's also what was interesting when listening to this record. It's like the post-hardcore version of of a Neurosis record to me. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, and I'm not sure if you listen to that band, but a lot of the kind of same themes just kind of through like a different lens. Um, and even to the point of like uh, the song One Lick Less, mm. uh, it ends in the same way as a spot in a specific Neurosis song. But when I looked it up, the the albums that I'm referencing came out in the same year. So it was just a happy accident. Yeah. Uh, One, um, something funny about that song that I learned when like, I've heard this album a million times, but I haven't like done a lot of research into I, I knew kind of how they made it which is that they had built their own studio um, and I think Phil Ack, like worked with them there but a lot of it was I think they spent like over a year just in the studio they'd made at home um, and trying out lots of different gear and their original drummer kind of came back and played a bunch of weird keyboard stuff and just a lot of sound experiments um, but anyway I, I feel like I found a lot of fun details on this record and on that song in particular, I guess they they used extracts from As I Lay Dying by Faulkner, and that's like how they came up with the lyrics. Oh, wow. I've like never thought about the lyrics on this album before listening for this, but. Yeah, uh, I, it's, I mean, the, I don't I feel like another kind of like term that people will kind of throw around, like, um, they feel kind of buried in the recording. Mm -hmm. and a lot of that's kind of style of music. It isn't like, I think with the type of singers, a lot of these people were, um, you don't need it that high up, you know, it's just not, it's not like how you would hear it live either. So yeah, I, sure. I didn't even really consider really any of the lyrics like going into thinking about this album. But yeah, I did read a few things like you were saying, or just like, it was almost, and I'm probably getting it wrong, but it was almost like one of their friends like wrote a part for it, or like this Sarah Lund also had like kind of written some words for some of the songs. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it seems like they did a lot of um, trading off of roles on this record. Like I didn't realize that they're all playing different pianos and keyboards um, throughout. It seemed like they were just really experimenting and having a a fun time trying out different things. Did you ever get a chance to see them? No, I have the Live Leaves album, and I think um, it maybe came as a bonus in one of the Numero box sets. There's like a, they played in like Reykjavik possibly, and there's a, a live record of that, but I never got, did you see them? No, no. Oh, God, I wish I could have. Yeah, I, I feel like any of, 
like my friends that are just like a little bit older than myself um you know they have like good stories about them um they also i mean one thing i was thinking of um actually i'll backtrack to something you were mentioning like when i think of like the song links on this record um i i agree with you like i don't feel like it's like a long song like one of them's like in like nine minutes i think but yeah it doesn't feel like it's long just for the sake of being long like in the sense of like injustice for all by metallica like it's like you know or like even like how sometimes i feel like when i'm listening to sunny day real estate it's like you could have cut a chorus you know or like something you know like it's yeah you know like sometimes when songs like get into like six minutes it's it's like they still go for a verse chorus verse kind of thing and i'm like why you already did that like three times so these songs don't do that like i don't I don't feel like I'm like, oh, well, enough of this already because it goes somewhere completely different. The one the one you're talking about that's like almost 10 minutes long is Terminus, which like when I think of that song, it's like short in my mind. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the time. like, it's like a ca really catchy song. There's like really cool rhythms going on between the, not only between the bass and the drums, like the guitar kind of sounds like it's playing something from like a musical and in like a like a classic like early 20th century musical kind of way there's just like lots of cool little motifs um i mean i've heard i heard this song recently i would not have been able to tell you that it's almost 10 minutes long yeah if i'm remembering it correctly i feel like that song is like one of the more upbeat on yeah definitely because does that kind of like yeah so like it's i mean you kind of settle into it like actually with like preparing to do this i would run with this record um and when it hit like that song like i feel like it definitely helped my run yeah <laughs> like it's, it, good, it's good pace like yeah it's kind of hard when you start running and then it's like we invent you starts and it's just the wee yes <laughs> like, the drone but i well but I, that like, one's well we can t keep talking about terminus but if we yeah. talk about we invent you we, sh we should talk about it too yeah um, we can talk about terminus more well, I kind of said it's definitely really upbeat. I think that the um, I, I read an oral history of this album that um, isn't online anymore. It was in Mora magazine. Um, I think Brad Cohen wrote it, but um, they talked about like what they were trying to accomplish in doing this record. And I guess they were all really into Kid A, and they were really into the Chronic. They were also like really into Zeppelin, <laughs> but I feel oh, like so yeah. those are kind of funny influences. But I think. Um, on this song in particular, there's just lots of really cool drum parts, and Sarah Lund is one of my favorite drummers of all time. But I feel like you can kind of hear that uh, the the like hip hop influence that I think kind of bleeds into Kid A as well. Um, but part of why these these really long songs don't feel like a like a dirge or a drag, the rhythms are awesome. There's really cool percussion that comes in, uh, and Terminus in particular, I think is is one of those. Yeah, well, being that the, if they were really into Radiohead and since uh, Tom York is now doing soundtrack stuff, I'm really going to say that they uh, took influence from the Golden Eye team. Yes. Yeah. Improved it. Fact. Like, we can print it. It's put to bed. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, with like how the record starts out, like I, I, I personally like when record starts out, start out that way because I feel like it's like kind of weeds out people that, that 
You know, it's yeah. like it's, it's like a three minute drone that starts this record off, and it's very quiet. You kind of got to turn your stereo up. Yeah, like I, I feel like when I was younger, it, if I heard records like this, I'd be like, "Yeah, this isn't for you." You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, but I, I don't know. So, but it also made me think, like, like kind of like where does this fit in at the time? Like, because I was listening to them on like a unwound radio and um just like not all over the place like all the things that kind of fit in with them in a way but it'd be like drive like jehu and i'm like who were unwound like playing with i know we both hadn't seen them but i didn't know you knew like any flyers or anything that come to mind yeah i mean i mentioned um blonde redhead earlier i know that on the the live leaves tour they did they had dates with blonde redhead this like I mean, we can get into the, like, backstory of this album, which I didn't totally know. Um, but they basically kind of thought they were going to break up while making it. And then when they did the tour, there were a lot of factors that just made things really difficult um, between, like, band members starting new families. Um, and they were supposed to play at the Middle East in Boston with Arab on Radar the night of September 11th. Um, and obviously the show was canceled and a lot of bands at that time canceled their tours and they instead they basically kept on with their tour even though um Vern wanted to go home and there was a lot of he's been or he was very forthcoming about his struggles with addiction that I think made the tour really difficult for them um but they really wanted to get to the the west coast portion of their tour because they were playing with Blonde Redhead who were there kind of old friends from I think play, they both played with Fugazi on the tour um so I know that they that was part of the tour and I know that Arab on Radar was part of the tour I, I know there's some other cool bands that they they played with but I think they were kind of less a part of that um not that Drive Like Jehu's like riff rock and I kind of do see the parallel in their earlier records um yeah. Yeah, but it was I think... stuff like dismemberment plan. Mm, and, yeah, uh, you know, drive like Jehu. Uh, you know, I could you know go down the list, but it also it's probably just because like we kind of mentioned, like I feel like they're doing their own thing. Like this doesn't feel like it's like while I would not be surprised that uh, like a Fugazi was like the next song. Like one of the others is like Archers of Love came up and Polvo came up. And I can see Polvo, but also don't feel like this is like, this is like Unwound is not a Fugazi clone to me. Like it's, it's not a, a what? A Fugazi clone. Like, no, I think they're, they, yeah. especially by the last record, they had really found a, a pretty unparalleled sound. I can't think of too many other records, um, at least not ones that would have been their contemporaries that sound like this one. Yeah, I mean, that's what's interesting to them, but I guess what I'm trying to like, talk about it it makes it hard because i can't like compare it neatly to like something something else you know but yeah that, that's what i like about it but you know it's not exactly like everything else but you know that was going on at the time from my memory but um one of the things interesting that you mentioned being that the time frame like 2001 um and this isn't the first time that it's like come up while talking in interviews so far uh, but I did an episode about rival schools and some of the oh, yeah. things came up like their their record came out 
on September 4th, 2001. And we kind of talked about, like before I was talking with the guy that I was doing the interview with, like, like why does it feel like it's still kind of like being rediscovered by people, like that album specifically? Um, and then when I wrote down the date on when it came out, I was like, oh, okay, all right. You know, so yeah, people like, weren't, weren't check, taking in new yeah. things at that time. Like being that this is their last record and being that September 11th happened, um, I feel like it's like it changed more things than I think like people realize now. Um, and I, I feel like there was a point uh, in like the Super Chunk documentary, um, also the second time I'm talking about this documentary. <laughs> um, it, it Basically, it's like their tour goes through and they're like, should we like cancel? You know, it's, mm. it's like this is it's not the same. It's like one point and then the next day it's like everything completely different. Yeah. So I, yeah. so I don't know if any of the research like goes into that at all. Into into which? Into uh, kind of like the shift. I guess like you said, like they wanted to go home. Well, I think that um, so making this record, they all lived in different states. Um, Sarah was living in Portland, and I think had just gotten ma- or was about to be married to someone. Um, and Vern was living in, Justin was still in Olympia and Vern was living in Vegas and had just had a daughter. So I think part of the desire to go home is like, I think they'd tried to schedule the tour around what would be reasonable to be away from your, you know, new, new baby. But, um, you know, a huge 9-11 would kind of make you want to go home to be with your kid. And I think the rest of the band wanted to to go forward with the rest of the dates because they kind of knew it would be the end. Um, so I think that in, in reading oral histories, they've kind of pointed to that tension as like a reason that they didn't continue after the, the Live Leaves tour. Yeah, it's. I feel like also there's no way to talk about Unwound without it kind of getting like sad at points where it goes into talking about like burn. Yeah. And like he was very forthcoming about a lot of that and said, like, the tension is 100 percent because of me and my addiction problems and makes me sad to see other young bands go through the same thing. Um, But there's wild stories on this tour of him. He punched he punched he broke both hands towards the end of it and they had to cancel the last few dates because he just had both hands broken and playing was impossible. (laughs) I guess that's a way to go home. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, it's it. It really does feel like it's like there's no way to kind of like mention, you know, around him, which I'm not, you know, trying to do. But you were saying like uh, it's it was a big influence on either starting Speedy Ortiz or how you approach. Yeah, I don't know about starting it, but certainly I was thinking about how this album sounds, and I still think about how this album sounds and um, arranging things. There's, as I said, like so many great. There's just so many really cool overdubs and something that um, I know they had been conscientious of and in like preparing this for the live thing, they had always played as a three piece and this was the record where they brought in other people to to play stuff and then on the tour they had to play as a a five or six piece um, just because there was so much going on and they wanted to portray it accurately. Um, I really love the studio as a document, as its own thing, not, not necessarily of something that's a live performance. And I think they were doing a ton of 
chopping things up, tape manipulation, piecing things together. As you can kind of hear, there's a lot of like, they're all credited as tape operators. There's a ton of cool analog experimentation that really doesn't sound like a, a band just playing in a room, other than maybe how the drums are recorded, um, which I know they were like super into Zeppelin and that's what they were trying to make it sound like, which is funny to me. Um, but what's, you know, before we were taping, my my boyfriend Dylan walked by, who's in the band Cloud Nothings, and right when we first started dating, um, he, he has an album, I think Attack on Memory, and it starts with like a long piano part before getting into a song. And I was just working on the speedy record Foil Deer, which kind of has a weird, like scrunky intro. We both were just really had internalized the, the strong statement of we invent you opening leaves turn inside you and wanting to do something that sets a tone and then erupts into a song that's that's different sounding. Um, so even just in the the choices of setting three minutes of drone at the top of the album, um, yeah, this record's a really, really big influence to me. Yeah. Uh, do you think, I don't, I don't know if there's any way we could answer this, but do you feel like a band like this could exist now or does exist now? I think people are less interested. Well, I don't know about a band like this, but a record like this, um, even in like the oral history I read, they were basically like, it's funny that we were so into Kid A and a lot of stuff that was done on computers and then built this studio so we wouldn't have recording limitations, but built it to be entirely analog, entirely to tape, therefore creating limitations for ourselves. I don't know too many bands that... I mean, everyone can home record now. We all do. You and I both were talking about um, my my MacBook crapping out and it becoming hard for me to record at home. But I do a ton of recording at home. As far as like building an all analog studio and taking a year to do it with a band, um, that seems less tenable to me now. I don't know. I don't know many bands who do stuff like that. I don't think yeah. I can name any. I even think like in the, cause I, I feel like stylistically I would still put them as a punk fan mm -hmm. um, and just like how they approach things. Um, but you know, I don't feel like I hear a lot of punk bands kind of doing that. And I feel like everyone's, I mean, I feel like we don't really want, and me personally, I don't really want records like over 35 minutes if I can help it. You know, yeah. but it's like an attention span thing. But like, this is an an album that's an hour and sixteen minutes. Like, I don't know if that's something people are interested in doing, or honestly, if I'm just not looking in the right places. Yeah. Well, I I think they viewed it as a double album. In fact, I know that on the CD, which is the I actually don't have a vinyl copy of this record, and I was astonished looking through my records earlier. I guess I just have it on CD. Um, but the first half is listed as a disc two, and the second half is listed as disc three. Um, the idea being that, was it Challenge for Civilized Society, is that what it's called? The record right before this that one? Sounds right. I feel if I got this wrong, I'm going to be embarrassed. But um, the idea being that that was like the, yeah, Challenge for Civilized Society. I should have had faith in myself. That's like disc one. So even though it's like long... I think they're viewing it as um, kind of, you don't have to listen to it all in one sitting. It's like two different, two discs, two, it's a double album. 
Yeah, that's like a weird thing of it going, like everything being streaming now. It's like you don't really have that suggestion of someone telling you, you don't have to listen to all this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that is like, it's like, it's telling you how to enjoy it. You know, it's like, listen to disc one, listen to this other album, listen to disc two, maybe yeah. take a second and then listen to disc three. And I feel like there's points built into it. But so when I look at like the record and pull it up on like streaming, I'm like an hour and 16 minutes. Like, I don't know if they technically thought people would do that that way, you know? Uh, and it's funny, like, I, I listened to this record on CD for the first bajillion times I heard it, and I think I know the the first half of it better than the second, um, probably for that reason. I always feel like that's kind of the case on, like, double albums. Like You, you and, pick a side. Yeah, and, and I guess that, that's, like, a good thing to have, but I always, like, would make this joke to people, like, if you want to make a double album, like, just don't. Like, just don't do it. Like, but, like, <laughs> but here, I mean, I love Joanna Newsom, and she did a triple album that I think is amazing. I, there's so many, like, like, I always just tell people, don't do it, but then I own, like, so many double albums. Like, and then, because I always be like, well, that one's good. That one's good. Or, like, this one's good. You know, or almost, like, every Neurosis record is, like, a double album. Yeah. Like, like it's like... You know, or, you know, the the ones that even compared to when I was, like, looking at the research, we, they always pull out, like, Husker Du, Zen Arcade, mm-hmm. Minutemen, Double Nickels on the Dime. Um, and I'm like, those are great double albums, you know, or even, like, George Harrison, All Things Must Pass is, like, yeah. a triple album, you know. But I don't know if often there, there, there's a lot of cases of, like, this isn't as good as like this specific album you got to be really good to make something that long i think when you're a talented writer when you're a musician at kind of the height of your powers as unwound was at this time um if they had done a third disc of this i think i would still be really psyched and i'm sure there's i'm sure there's tons of outtakes from this because they just did it all at home and were chopping things up um I know that they had like an archives project. I wonder if there are actually a bunch of. <laughs> I'm like, I wish there were outtakes. There probably are, um, but I think they. I, I I keep citing this oral history because there's just one and it's so good. Um, but Sarah, I think, said that because Vern was so f- was coming from Vegas and had a new family and whatever else was going on in his personal life, there were often times that they were prepping for sessions. They were they were prepared to start a session and he was like hours and hours late, um, so they w- would just jam and like do covers and she basically was like it helped me to get really good at, at music in a way where I could see myself. D- they basically were like we all got to be the best musicians we'd ever been because we were spending a lot of time just learning cover songs like waiting around before working on this record um, and that she had kind of had blinders on like unwound is the band and it's about to break up and this is my career in music and working on just like playing around learning covers kind of expanded that to see a a different future for herself in music which is cool for me too because like obviously one of my all-time favorite drummers and i'm glad that she gets to play in projects still yeah what is she currently i know she has hungry ghost which is her band um i got to play uh, Speedy did a show with Corin Tucker band um, oh. when she was the drummer, 
and I was like the most starstruck I have ever maybe ever been talking to her which is funny because like Corin Tucker very easy to talk to um Sarah Lund to me is just like the idol of drumming (laughs) (laughs) I was very anxious asking her to like sign a record um I I guess like I'm still just I don't know it's like hard to put into like words that time frame or even just like thinking about things where you were saying like they would work on like covers and I'm trying to see if I can shift it away from like this I feel like it's like I see it in my head as like I'm like an just old guy telling people to like rock music or something but it's like (laughs) they didn't seem like ashamed in any capacity of like liking like Led Zeppelin or like you know probably the covers that they were doing like you know they were probably like rock staples at that yeah i think so you know and there was like a thing where it it feels like you know but it it might be like an age thing and i'm probably on like the the end of it so i can't really expect like a kid that likes 100 gex to still like get something out of like you know led zeppelin you know and yeah i don't know if they should you know like that'd probably be weird if they're still like pulling the same thing from like pink floyd or whoever you know but it's funny you bring up 100 gex because I feel like they're kind of in a legacy where they're probably, like, really inspired by Death Grips. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I, I can see that. I learned in looking stuff up for this record, I didn't realize Death Grips samples We Invent You. Well, that well isn't there the person from Death Grips, uh, one of them was in something. Is it, what, Zach Hill? Yeah. I guess was... that's probably how... <laughs> yeah he's in a million things yeah that's definitely the connection but i feel like um maybe unwound is like the classic rock that like 100 gex is into well you yeah it's probably at that point although they are 100 gex is into steely dan i know for a fact so i can see that they 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 kind of like everything i think yeah but that's that's why they're so weird and can pull from so many things yeah maybe it's not so much like it's like classic rock because it's like it's just like everything they took in as kids so it's not like one thing like the historical context isn't really there if you always had it in front of you your whole life like it doesn't really matter if something was from the 70s or the 90s it was just all there without any sort of timeline you know like i don't i don't know if like younger kids are like as obsessed with like time as i guess me (laughs) yeah (laughs) so so, so yeah, uh, we just compared Unwound to 100 Gex in a way. Uh, <laughs> I think they'd like, I think they'd appreciate it. But I do think that there Studio is... Studio experimenting, chopping things up. There's a direct, <laughs> there's a very direct lineage. Yeah, I but I, I do think that there is a lot that you could kind of chop up in Unwound, uh, you know, do whatever with. Like, I have a friend that will take, like, he takes like guided by voices songs so it's like anything that just has like a drum break in it but he predominantly will only take from like that era like guided by voices sonic youth or whatnot and i'm pretty sure he's used unwound for like any of his you know beats that's cool because um, they start like in the same way like they'll start with either just like a bass line shaker yeah and you could do so much with that so much cool mellotron stuff well it's <laughs> funny that like um I want to say it's at the end of Scarlet. There's a lot of really funny vocal effects on this record to me. Um, To an extent that I was kind of surprised to read that they weren't 
doing this digitally. And I can know having the context now that they were really into Kid A. I think I think it's the outro of Scarlet. There's just a, like some vocal stretching and glitching that to me sounds really digital. So I think it's funny that they were really inspired by these sort of to me like very digital albums and we're just accomplishing those effects with analog equipment. There's a lot of like there's vocal tremolo on this album that is like I remember hearing it for the focusing on it for the first time and kind of laughing cuz it just sounds it sounds ridiculous. It sounds awesome, but they were clearly just having fun with lots of different effects and I think um yeah, <laughs> I'm just reiterating there's a direct lineage between 100 gex and unwound. Yeah, it does like I don't I feel like you would have to come up with the idea like when it's on tape, you have to come up with the idea and then also figure out how to do it. Like, yeah. Digital you're just like that's cool, you know, you just click a button and I'm and I don't even say that as like a way that you shouldn't. I I think that's like, I wouldn't imagine that I would have the patience. To, yeah. I think that's why like, it took them so long. Just be like, oh, I guess, well, we have to, like, heat up the, the you know, whatever you have to do. It's like, oh, well, we're going to have to splice this to another tape and then mm-hmm. slow it down so that it feels sped up. Are those kind of things? Or like, I'm leaving for the There's day. so much of that on this record to an extent that it just never occurred to me that it was done to tape. Like, yeah. there's so much, like, reverse symbol enters in this one weird place. I don't know. I don't. I think like when I just think about it, I just kind of recoil and be like, you could have done this so much quicker. (laughs) But I think they had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, I I know that it was stressful because they've talked about like, you know, it it broke up our band, but I know um, a fact that I figured out like maybe a couple years ago and then was very psyched to have, um, how do I, I should just say what I'm, I'm saying rather than setting it up in this confusing way. Um, Janet Weiss of Slater Kinney and of Quasi, who I think, um, I think that Sarah Lund wound up working with, um, with Sam Coombs from Quasi later, but Janet sings backup vocals on Demons Sing Love Songs, which is a credit that I hadn't noticed despite years of, of hearing this record until a couple years ago and kind of blew my mind. And um, not to like pivot to promoting my own record that's coming out yeah, in a month, but I have a bunch of um, guest vocal features from like f- some favorite people on it. Um, Meryl Garbus from Tune Yards shows up on it. Uh, Roberto from Elado Negro shows up on it. Rick from Pile does a guest vocal. Um, and I didn't want to, there's like this trend now in streaming. If someone shows up, to give a vocal it's like featuring that person and it's like to increase your streams or whatever um i've had it happen to me where i like literally play guitar for 10 seconds on something and then my name is in the track of the song and it's like the first thing people find you know it's like a it it feels like a little gratuitous to me and it defeats something that's so fun for me which is like if it said demons sing love songs featuring janet weiss it couldn't be something that I discover years later after having heard the record a million times yeah. and being like, Oh my God, like one of my favorite drummers is playing on the song. And my, one of my other favorite drummers is singing backup vocals. So in, in not putting these like featured credits in a, as a feature in the title, I was specifically thinking about like how fun it was for me to discover that Janet Weiss sings backup vocals on demons sing love songs. Um, and the long winded thing I'm getting to is that, 
I think I posted something about like Sarah being one of my favorite drummers on Instagram. I, I was on Instagram and Janet Weiss DM'd me and she's like, she really is the best. Like I remember going into the basement to do vocals on this song and there was this gear everywhere and it was chaos and it was so much fun. Um, so I think like, while it probably was a lot of problem solving and, you know, figuring out like, how do we get, you know, <laughs> idiotech vocal sound <laughs> on with tape? Um, I think they probably had a lot of fun making this. Yeah. I mean, it sounds amazing to be in a in a homemade studio for a year with your friends, just trying everything. Yeah, I mean, I, they were, I w- I assume, you know, a successful enough band that they could take the time, you know, uh, hopefully. <laughs> I think they the had first. other stuff going on too, and it was like a lot of sessions, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, what it's how you mentioned the you know kind of guest on your songs like i've been kind of thinking about that too with like uh, a current record that we're currently writing um just like thinking about like why don't like i guess we'll say just like rock band in quotes like just kind of as the umbrella like why don't more rock bands do that i feel like it's always like just like such a tight thing between like three or four or five people like it's like but then you see in like pop or you see in like mm-hmm. and whatnot, like they always have guests, um, you know, and there's the other conversation like you were having, but it's like, I wish that more people in rock did that. Like, that'd be cool to think like you were saying, like Janet Weiss just probably coming by because, you know, geography thing and just their friends. Yeah. You know, like, I want to be on your record. Like, it's like, you know, it's always like, well, this is, uh, you know, the sad 13 record and so it's only me but you thought about it like you know i want my friends on it too yeah and also the thought i mean for me the other thing with the sad 13 thing is it's like i'm playing pretty much everything but i can't i can can pick up a bunch of instruments i can't make my voice sound too different um so i think there's something really nice about having other people's timbre just as a as a layer in the record and i've been lucky to do I've showed up on a bunch of my friends' records just singing backup vocals. But um, we mentioned Drive Like Jehu earlier, and another one of these where I was like, having heard the song a million times, um, just noticing who the the backup vocalist is on Luau. It's like Rob Crow doing the oh cool the like suit up <laughs> part. Yeah. I love shit like that. I love only realizing that that someone I love from something else is on a record uh, like years after. Yeah, there's it. even uh, one that comes to mind is on like a Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, I was just gonna that, yeah. go for it. Yeah. Yeah, the well, Davy Von Bolin uh, mm-hmm. sings. What is that song name? Uh, don't 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 let's start right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah's like probably screaming from the other room, telling me what song that is. I can't uh, remember what it's called, but I know I yeah. can think of the it's vocal. Like, it's a big one, so. Um, but yeah, like stuff like that happening, or maybe it's like they are, like you're saying, maybe that does happen a lot, but it's sort of something that you have to discover on your own. You know, so maybe it happens. I prefer it when it's that way. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that too, because when we were thinking about doing it, like, would we have to like do like, you know, our band's name and then this person, you know, it's like, it could be advantageous, but that's not the point of why we're doing it. Like, I don't think that that was, yeah your intention or even going back to them it's definitely not their intention you know it's like it makes it strange in that way it's like 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're kind of like going around the same thing, <laughs> but but like, yeah, I just wish that people would do that more. Like things were just like a collaborative thing because like these bands exist within like a community. It's kind of fun to think like who can, you know, kind of help with this. My My favorite thing is like finding weird archive sites and learning that bands that I loved were friends with each other. Like there's um there's a Brainiac site that's like a, a list of every show they ever played and who was playing the shows. And just realizing that like bands that I didn't know were friends or friends with each other, or even in the more like celebrity gossip way, when I find out that two people in bands that I like were dating each other 30 years ago, this is like the most exciting gossip for me. Um, and I think like doing a deep dive into credits and finding stuff like that is, is sort of similar. Like, oh yeah, of course these people knew each other and, and probably, to of course Slater, Kinney and Unwound um, would have known each other. And uh, it's just, it's fun to have that kind of audio evidence of it. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's nice in a way that um, it's like, I wonder if someone like Slater, Kenny, if they felt like, I feel like there was probably like more of a pedestal or that's even like, people looking back like it's like they were still like a punk band you know mm -hmm. like when i hear things like that they're just kind of hanging out it kind of demystifies things and kind of makes me think of like how i experienced punk growing up you know yeah. like that you know it's like these people are approachable is like the point the fact that like janet would dm you, you yeah know, is like i feel like sometimes whenever like if you mention it feels like I'm like making fun of you for a second but you know it's like it's nice to me it doesn't feel like it's like you're like humble bragging or anything it's just it's just like that's how it should be like these are people too you know yeah. like, they just go to the coffee shop and they probably want to be told like hey I like this or just to simply someone say hi to them or wave in the neighborhood you know? I think a lot of people like probably like Janet who have played music I mean, this is something that I, I probably say all the time. Whenever I've, like, toured with one of my heroes who's played for a million years, they're always super nice. And I think it's really hard to maintain a career for that long if you aren't a genuinely nice person who cares about music scenes, who plays music because they want to connect with other people rather than get a leg up on other bands. And I think... Um, I'm trying to think of when I met... I think I met Janet... I don't know. Well, I, well, Speedy toured with the Jicks, but she wasn't in the band at that time. But we must have known each other because of that. Um, but she played in, in this sort of similar thing of like people just showing up on their friends' things. Speedy did a tour with Wilco, and at the Portland show, Janet came and like played some stuff with them on stage. Um, and then years later, I think maybe just a couple years ago, um, uh, Kath from the Thermals, I can't remember what band it was, but Janet was playing in it, and it was a new band, and that was like the first of three on a show. So to have Janet Weiss, like, we get to see her play in an arena with Wilco, and then also, like, you know, first of three in an all-ages space. Um, I think it was at Vera Project in Seattle. It's just, like, people who are in music for the right reasons, I think, do it for a long time, and are interested in new bands and are interested in new scenes. And I think Janet, that's very true for. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like it's like, that's always how I've approached it. But then like, I think about it, I'm like, man, I wonder if I've ever like messed up the trajectory of my band because I didn't really care the difference between like being second of three or like first of three. 
you know, because there is like a perception there sometimes with people. But I don't yeah. ultimately like give a shit about that perception. I'm in the same boat as you. Sometimes yeah. I've been offered stuff where it just clearly doesn't make sense. Like that, yeah. But you know, if it if it didn't make sense and I loved the bands enough, I just don't care. Yeah, um, I should shout out the the band that I was trying to remember the name of was um, Roseblood, which was Kathy Foster and Maggie Vale was in it as well, um, and Janet, and it was like really amazing to get to watch them. Yeah, um, one one uh, I guess like since you were kind of bringing it up, like so you have the new Sad Thirteen uh, record coming out, and I'm trying to think when the previous one came out. Was it? It was 2016. I appear to love releasing things in the fall of election years. <laughs> you feel like I don't even know if I've ever really processed that that's something someone shouldn't do. Uh, um, it I, only should be something you don't do if, like, you put out a record two days after Trump is elected. Because I uh, really just was not interested in like promoting an album or touring after that. Well, but... yeah. I mean, and that's a conversation where it's like, um, like I have a record coming out tomorrow and I feel like oh, weird. Happy, happy birthday. Like, yeah, I feel weird like pushing anything right now, but it's like, yeah. you know, vinyl is coming and it's a little delayed, but it's like, you know, CDs and vinyl and all of this stuff are coming in. So it's like, I don't want it in my house. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, so it's like you have to promote it, but it's like such a weird time to promote it and even still in 2016 when Trump got elected. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I could imagine. And I never really thought about that, that, oh, yeah, that probably wouldn't have been the best time to be putting on the record. No, it wasn't. And not even like in the cynical way, like, oh, our sales were impacted. I don't think that was a thing. It was more just, um, I think sometimes when world events, for lack of a better term, are so... Um, like sad things you're involved in are going awry um, it can be hard to care about music but it's also a good reminder that this is those are exactly the times when a lot of people need and seek out music um, so I try not to be too I try not to to be too like oh god I don't <laughs> I don't know I worked on the thing I'm proud of it um, just because I'm more concerned about other things now than my record doesn't mean other people don't don't want to need new albums so yeah i mean i feel like it's like sometimes if i see i mean twitter is just such a horrible place a lot of times but like sometimes when i see people uh kind of subtweet like a band for like doing anything right now i'm like you as an adult i can do two things you know i can go to a protest you know and i can promote a record which, you know, probably, it, I feel like that probably creates, like, a deeper discussion of things. But, you know, you can do two things as an adult. <laughs> That's yeah, my, and my I think point. people are also conscious of the space they're taking up. Like, yeah. I had a couple things scheduled for June that were pushed back um, directly in support of the demonstrations and protests that were happening around the country as a response to police brutality and murder yeah. um i think a lot of people sort of are balancing you know I, I think anyone with a platform or at least anyone with a platform that i care to follow is sort of balancing their own work with wanting to to boost other people's work and direct resources to um 
things that are needed right now and always. So there's yeah. there's a balance. Yeah, I mean, but I also did. It's for me. It's it was more like the personal depression. Like I I didn't want this record out any later than the election because if we wind up with Trump again, I'm gonna be super fucking depressed and just not want to do any amount of this. Which is not to say I'm not like super fucking depressed right now, but I can at least get it together to like come talk to you about Unwound and yeah, like, yeah, like you know, I post the when, link to Bandcamp. <laughs> when me and Sarah's band that's putting out the record tomorrow, well, tomorrow doesn't mean anything in terms of the podcast. But... It will be Friday, August 28th. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like we had a single that was already set up uh, to go and we just had to kind of let it yeah not in the world because it was not a time to be promoting a single you know it just it's just you know sometimes people like schedule things too and it just mm-hmm. you know and it, it was like we shouldn't be sharing singles right now with i pushed stuff back three times and i would have pushed it back again but i got told no <laughs> yeah well we kind of just sort of like elongated the process and nice. kind of pushed another single out kind of on the in-between and you know there you it, go it, it is what it is um but the news, uh, Sad Thirteen record. What's, it, what's the name of it? It's I called think? Haunted Painting. Okay, and I watched the video uh, that you did. I liked that a lot. Which uh, one? Because there's three now. Well, okay. So I watched the. I guess like I'm trying to think like how I would refer it to you. What kind of movie monster is in it? Um, That'll it, be how you how I know. It's a ghost. Yeah. So. So that's uh, um that's Ghost of a Good Time. That was the first like album single okay well then i'm thinking of and that's the one with meryl garbus on it okay i'm thinking of uh hysterical oh okay that came out this week well i guess it's i'll a... say ghost but it's like the it's an unfriended homage so yeah, there's a computer yeah. ghost that's killing everybody uh, yes but um there is i don't know if you've seen it the kind of the reason i say ghost there is a movie called host not the... everyone's telling me to watch host yeah and it, it's like that but also unfriended it's like there's a certain concept that screen life movies yeah for that but uh the funny thing about host um was it was made it's made and already out like it was made during quarantine like Mm. so yeah like the process of it i guess started in march and they had a finished movie um that went up in july um so did you start your music video during quarantine or was this something yeah all these videos were done in quarantine um i think most obviously probably the one you're talking about for hysterical where um the other actors in the the video are jamie loftus the comedian everyone's a comedian besides me i just get to hang out uh jamie who directed it um shot her parts at home and uh, Demi and Mitra, who are the other actors in it, shot their parts like at home, um, and then it was all kind of just done together, edited to to look like a computer screen. Well, um, it, yeah, I like the video a lot. But it's but uh, like something for me in doing all these videos were done in quarantine with like super limited crew, often just like one person and me. Um, but I because there can't be any touring on this record. The one thing that I was like, I really want to make it look normal and not like it was... There were so many green screen videos that came out right at the top of quarantine. There's a lot of awesome animated videos, and I'm sure I'll wind up doing stuff like that. Um, But I really just wanted to make something that looked... Even if it was done in quarantine and under, like, pandemic regulations, just to look normal. Um, 
and like it could have been done at any time because we can't have live music. I at least want like one thing that feels normal and it will yeah, be music videos. Yeah, something that doesn't just automatically kind of pinpoint to a certain time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I did watch a music video from a band. Um, the video was great, but they even like they had masks on. Yep. I don't want to. I don't want to be. That might just be our normal forever. I think in many countries it already is. Yeah. Um, we can do. I don't know. Yeah. I respect people who are doing stuff that that places things in a time. I also was not really interested in it for this project. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a, ba a hope that I have in my head is like, well, I hope we're not here forever. And also, if we are here forever and that's our real life, can this music video, if safely done, reflect, you know, the fantasy where I don't have to wear a mask everywhere? Yep. You know, it's like I will wear a mask. And obviously, I don't even feel like I have to, like, say that to you. But, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. I'm fine with it. You know, we'll, we're doing it. But it's like, I don't love it. <laughs> so it's like. You know, it's like, I don't want it in my video if I can help it, you know. Well, you look at, like, there's tons of cultures where pe for p riding public transportation, for being in public, mask use is normal. And I think um, even when it it is safe to have live music, I think that mask use is not a bad thing to prevent something like this from happening again. But you don't see music videos of people wearing masks, even in countries where it's a norm. Um, yeah, like in Japan when we were there in November... Yep. Um, it was like, it really felt like 50% of everyone was wearing a mask. Yeah, it's a courtesy. And yeah, and it's, I, you know, I was, I remember like asking Sarah and then there was our friend Hero that was kind of showing us around. And I'm like, is there like a reason? And, you know, it was almost so ingrained in the culture. Like he, he didn't have like a good explanation of why. It was just something you do either like, you don't want to breathe the air or either you have a cold or yeah. Uh, and what I'm saying is I, I wish too, that it was just normalized. Like there, mm -hmm. you know, like it shouldn't be like such a debated thing. Wear a mask if you. No, it's not, yeah. it should, it's not, it shouldn't be controversial. I just watched some anime the other day called blue over the wall. It's really cute. It's about like a, a mermaid that fronts a, a like a chiptune band. <laughs> um, but it's set in, in, uh, I forget where, but somewhere in rural Japan. Um, and people are wearing masks throughout. And, it, like, some people wear them and some people don't, and it's normal. That feels fine to me because it's, like, a normal part of culture. Because we we still are dealing with people who are debating. Maybe I should have worn masks in the video, honestly, to help normalize it. And uh, You'll have to see that. See when you. we're not in the pandemic, I'll, I'll make sure that we have extras in the videos with, with masks sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess as we probably come to the end, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk. Oh yeah, this was really fun. Favorite yeah. albums. Um, I guess just the one other thing about the mask. It is it is funny that it's such an ingrained thing that they would even animate people. Yeah, masks, yeah. Which is nice. It's, I, I mean, if you animate great... someone wearing a baseball cap, why not a mask? Yeah, like it's it's just crazy to th like i've had people that i feel like are like progressive people that are still like i wouldn't say they're completely anti-mask but it's they're sort of like yeah but you know it doesn't do anything then i'm like it's simply not it true do anything then why would they do this as a normal thing in other societies like, other societies that have this under control by now 
Yes. Like, it's like, why is that a debated thing? Like, I can look at like 180,000 dead and then look at, and then people are like, well, they're an island. But it's like, isn't there some math we can do where the equivalency of it is like, obviously we're still fucking up, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost like silly for us to talk about it because I feel like we both agree, but maybe there's someone that- Maybe there's you know, an unwound fan out there that doesn't think that, no, I, I, can't, I feel like I anyone listening to your be. podcast. There might, well, there might be like, uh, there might be, and that's sometimes where I feel like I have to state it, where I used to always feel like these were things where it's like, preaching to a choir like we always like in really any of my bands like we felt like we weren't like overtly political because Mm -hmm. it just felt like we existed in a scene that was like left-leaning or we'll say progressive and then like when and i wish it was earlier for me uh like when trump got elected or was on the path to get elected it was kind of like no i think we have to like say things outright like yeah we the band like even if someone like goes home and they're like i think you know, Josh's band is kind of didactic, but it's like, we live in that world, and obviously people don't feel the same, so it's like, so if you do say those things, or, you know, maybe wear a mask in your video, (laughs) then, you know, maybe that gets to people that, you know, haven't formally, like, gotten there, but don't, and they're not even potentially ill-intentioned. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I don't think it was until... I was in a band that had national attention that I, which for me is like 2013, that I felt the need to to say overtly political rhetoric on stage because it was just like playing for my friends who I knew all voted and volunteered the same way I did. Um, but it's become really important for me, like Speedy, both Speedy and Sad 13 have done a lot of stuff that are fundraising tours where we're donating really all the profit outside of like paying you know ourselves a minor minor salary um to charities or we're putting out a tip jar and it's for a cause people might not know about so i feel the need to like give a little spiel on stage um specifically like in the thing i know we're we're about to wrap up the conversation i'm getting into a whole another subject but um this record really specifically the new sad 13 one is about um grief kind of specifically and in some ways it's about grieving people who have died of overdose um and so i started getting involved in sort of tangential harm reduction work with speedy with making anti-overdose medication available at our merch table at all shows with asking venues to stock it with getting local harm reduction groups to come to shows and table and distribute naloxone or other services for people who use drugs. Um, And just like talking about it on stage, I would have so many people come to the merch table after and either say like, I'm in recovery for X amount of years, like thank you for talking about this, or I've lost you know, friends and family to overdose and want to get involved with this kind of work, but didn't know it existed. Like, thank you for talking about it. Um, And I think just normalizing stuff like that by seeing it on stage, a lot of musicians don't realize how powerful that can be. Um, Whether it's for people in the community who haven't seen, you know, their particular struggles or needs represented on stage, um, or just to like bring it to people who who would be sympathetic to that cause, but aren't aware of it. Um, So... (laughs) long-winded way of saying like really important to use your stage time to to bring up issues that that matter to you and and put masks in your music videos in the future because 
You don't normalize things by avoiding them. Yeah, I'm going to go back and Photoshop masks onto all my videos now. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I know the last time I saw Speedy Ortiz, uh, you were talking about Narcan. Yeah, probably. Stage, and so, you know, that was like a really positive thing. And I think like the conversations I've seen that bands have, have like, you know, shifted. Like, I, I feel like there was even, maybe not directly in like people's lyrics, but there definitely has been like a more positive shift in how people think about like drug abuse and uh, abusers like you know so you know and it, it's not not necessarily just because of like how you've spoken about it like it's made me like you know try and like think about like how my words maybe affect fellow musicians that might be you know like how I approach it like with bandmates or just with people in the community um, and realizing that that can be something you can have like a positive effect on with you know, Narcan, all, all, all the conversations around it, uh, that honestly, I feel like I could be a lot more educated as this wrap up probably shows. But that's um, like why we talk about it. So yes, that everyone listening to this after having listened to 116 minutes of Leaves Turn Inside You is now going to check out National Harm Reduction Coalition. Yeah. And with that, you know, once again, I super appreciate you taking the time. Have Me too. Great, I'm have glad a great we did day. This. Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. Okay, uh, thanks to listen to another episode of Spinning Out. Before I let you go, just want to say, you know, once again, thanks to Sadie for taking the time to chat with me. So like we discussed in the episode, please wear a mask and also just be chill and be patient with people that work in retail and the service industry if you have to venture outside. Also, as we head into the holiday season. So no matter what this dumbass administration says, the virus is very real and still raging. So on that note, if you're listening to this when it drops, we're a week before the election, so please go vote. Research your local candidates, because these issues truly start at home. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends and share this episode on social media. Speaking of which, go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SpinningOutPod. Next week, we'll be talking with Sam Woodring about Nina Nastasia's album, The Blackened Air. It was released in 2002 by Touch and Go Records. If you're not familiar with Sam Woodring, you should check out Sam's bands, Mr. Goblin and previously of Two Inch Astronaut. Two really amazing bands that are very worth checking out. I'm a big fan. Uh, you can find their albums on Exploding and Sound Records. And the Nina Nastasia album, once again, The Blackened Air, is available pretty much anywhere you can stream music. And uh, lastly, thanks again to Sarah Blumenthal for editing and producing this podcast and you know, the previous episodes, too. Um, so the Unwound record was one hour and 16 minutes, and so I'm trying to make this episode that exact length. So maybe I'll give it a breather. I'll just hang out here. 
and see if we can time it perfectly to the length of the album. That'd be pretty cool. But, you know, we'll see you on the other side. Hit the theme. <laughs> 